Hey there, what's going on with Billy Carson? Thanks for 303k. There's something new on on Midas Touch. Disqualification of Trump case takes stunning turn. 45 minutes ago. Arizona homeowners, do you like the idea of having solar panels, but think it's just way too expensive? Most people don't know this, but almost 100% of homeowners can... I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. The Colorado Supreme Court heard oral argument earlier in the day on the disqualification case under the 14th Amendment, Section 3, regarding Donald Trump. You will recall that the trial court, after a lengthy trial, found that, yes, Donald Trump engaged in an insurrection, but that he could not be disqualified under the 14th Amendment, Section 3, because the trial court held that Donald Trump was not an officer, as the term is used in the 14th Amendment, Section 3, and thus the section didn't apply to him, even though he engaged in an insurrection. Now, the oral argument was a pretty shocking thing to watch. I'm going to show you a clip from it right now where Donald Trump's lawyer, Scott Gessler, used to be the Secretary of State in Colorado, actually argued that the Confederate president, Jefferson Davis, would be able to run for president and that the Democratic Party could conceivably nominate President Obama for a third term. In other words, what Scott Gessler argued on behalf of Donald Trump is that because Trump is not an officer, as the term is used in the United States Constitution, in essence, Donald Trump is impervious to the restraints of the Constitution and the limitations imposed on people seeking the presidency. Let me show you that clip right now, and then let's talk about it. This is Donald Trump's lawyer, Scott Gessler, before the Colorado Supreme Court. Play the clip. If the entire nation chooses someone to be president, can that be an insurrection, or is that democratic choice? Can, you know, remember, the president is a little bit different. Everyone in the country has an opportunity or should have an I opportunity don't to vote for that person. Go ahead. I don't think anyone here is, is suggesting, and I don't take the petitioners to have been arguing that the election of a person as president is an insurrection. I, I, I think that what the insurrection might have been is a different question. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure where you're going with that argument. I'm, I'm going with the broader context of the president is different. <laughs> and if everyone in the country chooses Different. a particular person as Departed. a president. So if everyone chose an insurrectionist, Jefferson Davis, let's use that example. If Jefferson Davis won, ran a while ago, and the and the electors who, who were not themselves insurrectionists chose to put him into the presidency, that would be fine under Section 3, and that would be consistent with the purposes of Section 3. That would be the rule of democracy in work. But the rule uh -huh. of democracy, there, there are limits. I mean, the president can't be under 35 or can't be, uh, you know, someone who wasn't born in this country. But, so you could, I mean, the argument, that if you take your argument to the limit, it would say they can, we can elect Governor Schwarzenegger or 
you know, my 27-year-old kid. I, I don't think it goes that far. It's the it's that rule embodied in the text of Section 3. Now, there are plenty of anti-majoritarian measures in the, in the structural constitution. And there are these qualifications. No one argues that. But when we're interpreting Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, and we look at the history behind that and the context and the language they use. They use awful. Look, the, for, to satisfy the conditions of Section 3, you have to be an office under the United States. You have to hold the office under the United States. And you have to be an officer under the United States. And you have to take an oath. So you have to have all four of those items in place. Any one of them, Section 3 does not apply. Sticking, stepping away from Article 3, though, for a second, and sticking with the Constitution, could the Democratic Party put President Obama up for, on the primary ballot? Could that happen? <clears throat> I haven't done a full analysis of that particular provision, Your Honor. I'm really sort of focused more on Section 3, but could they do it? Conceivably, I think it's an open question. If you look at the political question analysis of the Article 2 courts, the weight of authority, was that states could not could not prevent that. If so, I understand your democratic process argument, that would seem to be the logical conclusion. I'm just trying to make sure I understand the breadth. The breadth is confined to Section 3, Your Honor. But, but stepping away, because you were focused also on the Constitution. Um, look, I'm, I'm, I'm focused on the structural Constitution to look at the language the officer of the United States is used four times in the structural constitution. And each time it does not apply to the U.S. president. Oh, go ahead. No. I mean, not once does it apply. No, I know. You, you, you didn't answer my question, but that's okay. I'm not going to. I want to let you use your time the way you want to use your time. So I, I feel like we're Please going feel free to take another run at me, Your Honor. I, I do want to be responsive. Yes, sir. I, I feel like we're going in circles to some extent right now. And then Donald Trump's lawyer, Scott Gessler, argued that. He's just making everything up and that everybody's just making things up. And this is all make-believe. I'm not joking with you. Donald Trump's lawyer argued to the Supreme Court of Colorado, Mr. Gessler, you're making it up, you're going to say to me. Well, so did the judge. We're all sort of making this all up. No, there's law. There's what's called the United States Constitution. Here, play this clip. Why don't you focus, because your time is limited, on the one the district court adopted. And to, I mean, any public use of force or threat of force by a group of people to hinder or prevent the execution of the Constitution. What's wrong with that definition? Way too broad. I think the petitioners actually admitted that a group of people threatening a mailman and preventing him or her from uh, from executing their constitutional duties, because that's one of the constitutional powers that Congress has, would constitute an insurrection. What if we narrowed it to say prevent the peaceful transfer of power of the United States government? Would that be an insurrection? To prevent the peaceful transfer? I don't think so, and I'm not sure, Your Honor. Look, I mean, if you look at historically in the context of how insurrection was used, I mean, it has to be for a substantial duration not three hours. Um, there has to be some geographical scope. There has to be a goal of nullifying all, all, uh, pre 
all governmental authority in an area. I guess I'm not sure where you're, you said it has to be, where the temporal provision, where is all that coming from? I mean, Webster's Third New International Dictionary defines it as an act or instance of revolting against civil authority or against an established government. So you've added a whole lot of conditions there. I'm not sure where they came from. I would urge you, I think probably the best exposition of that was the State Attorney General's briefs and the authority that they provided. But I think also if you look at sort of the historical record. Now, you're going to tell me, Mr. Gessler, you're making it up. And I'm going to say, well, so did the judge. And I'll say, we're all sort of making it up at the end of the day. Yes, I just want to jump in on this point of how I don't know that we have to come up with a test that's going to necessarily address all circumstances. I guess the question, at least as to insurrection, you know, setting apart whether President Trump engaged in insurrection. But as to insurrection, why isn't it enough that a violent mob breached the Capitol when it was when Congress was performing a core constitutional function? In some ways, that seems like a poster child for insurrection. Why is that not true? Well, I think what you're sort of saying is the famous quote. I don't know. I don't know a definition of it, but I know it when I see it. You know, that we don't have a workable standard. But we think in this instance, they're probably it doesn't feel good. And it just seems well, it's more than it's more than it doesn't feel good. For purposes of this case, what we need to do is figure out whether what happened on January 6, one of the things we need to figure out whether what happened on January 6 constituted an insurrection. We don't need to come up with a definition for all times and all circumstances. I mean, as you watch that clip, as you watch the other clip, I mean, the conduct here is absolutely atrocious. Now, the Colorado Supreme Court is a seven justice panel right there. All of the justices in the Colorado Supreme Court were appointed by Democratic governors. They all serve set terms there in the Colorado Supreme Court. Donald Trump's lawyer, Scott Gessler's argument there mirrors what Donald Trump argued in his briefing. Here it is as well. And arguing that Donald Trump is not an officer, thus the court shouldn't even have jurisdiction over a 14th Amendment Section 3 disqualification case. And also arguing, and you heard Donald Trump's lawyer argue there, that Donald Trump did not even take the oath of office. And here you see the argument in written form. Summary of the argument. Donald Trump's lawyers argue the framers excluded the office of the president from Section 3 purposefully. Section 3 does not apply because the presidency is not an office, quote, under the United States. The president is not a, quote, officer of the United States. And Donald Trump did not take an oath to support the Constitution of the United States. And therefore, Donald Trump's lawyer argues that the 14th Amendment Section 3 does not apply and the court does not have jurisdiction. Now, if you take a look at the 14th Amendment Section 3, just we'll pull it up right here. It says, no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same 
or given aid, comfort to the enemies thereof, but Congress may vote by two-thirds of each house to remove such disability. And so the uh, ultimate ruling by the trial court is that Section 3 says senator or representative, elector, um, it talks about uh, it talks about a state legislature, judicial officer, but according to uh, the trial court and Trump's argument, it doesn't mention officer. But if you look at Section Three, it says, you know, or hold any office, and it's the office of the presidency. So it, it makes no sense. And the president the president does take an oath of office, but here Trump's lawyers arguing. There is no oath of office pursuant to Section 3 of the 14th Amendment that Donald Trump takes. And as you heard the argument there, you know, literally Confederates can become the uh, president of the United States. Obama can seek another term and the rules don't apply. It's what is so uh, dangerous there as well. Um, the lawyers for the petitioners here who filed this appeal after losing in the trial court went through a structural, uh, textual, and historical analysis and basically argued again to the uh, Supreme Court here as they did to the trial court. Um, the reason that there's no specific mention of the presidency or vice presidency in Section 3 is actually well documented in the historical text, the catch-all as it was believed when this section was drafted, was the or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States. That was a catch-all. And so uh, the terms presidency and vice presidency were not removed because the 14th Amendment, Section 3, doesn't apply to them. It just, for drafting purposes, was viewed as being embodied in this kind of catch-all that was uh, incorporated here, and it would also defy any uh, common sense analysis or historical understanding that someone running for the presidency would be treated like a king and could engage in insurrection and attempt to overthrow the Constitution, yet can seek safe harbor in the immunities and seek safe harbor uh, in destroying the Constitution and that the Constitution would not apply to them. It, it simply is belied by all logic there. So the next question is, is what will the Colorado Supreme Court do with this? They will obviously be uh, issuing a written order soon. And will they find that the disqualification clause applies to Donald Trump? And if it does, will that then go to the United States Supreme Court? But I wanted you, you know, to hear the argument being made by Donald Trump's lawyer, Scott Gessler. And I want you to see the summary of Trump's argument saying that Donald Trump did not take an oath to, quote, support the Constitution of the United States. And you saw Donald Trump's lawyer trying to argue that in court. Let's leave no doubt about what the argument is that Trump is making and how dangerous of an argument that is. I'm Ben Micellis. This is the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 2 million subscribers thanks to your support. Check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. At Midas Touch, we are unapologetically pro-democracy, and we demand justice and accountability. That's why we're spreading our message to Convict 45. That's right, gear up right now with your Convict 45 tees and pins at store.midastouch.com. That's store.midastouch.com. Uh, uh. 
joking with you. Donald Trump's lawyer argued to the Supreme Court of Colorado, Mr. Gessler, you're making it up, you're going to say to me. Well, so did the judge. We're all sort of making this all up. No, there's law. There's what's called the United States Constitution. Here, play this clip. Why don't you focus, because your time is limited, on the one the district court adopted. And to, I mean, any public use of force or threat of force by a group of people to hinder or prevent the execution of the Constitution. What's wrong with that definition? Way too broad. I think the petitioners actually admitted that a group of people threatening a mailman and preventing him or her from uh, from executing their constitutional duties, because that's one of the constitutional powers that Congress has, would constitute an insurrection. What if we narrowed it to say prevent the peaceful transfer of power of the United States government? Would that be an insurrection? To prevent the peaceful transfer? I don't think so, and I'm not sure, Your Honor. Look. I mean, if you look at historically in the context of how insurrection was used, I mean, it has to be for a substantial duration, not three hours. Um, there has to be some geographical scope. There has to be a goal of nullifying all, all, all governmental authority in an area. I, I guess I'm, I'm not sure where you're, you said it has to be, where the temporal provision, where is all that coming from? I mean, Webster's Third New International Dictionary defines it as an act or instance of revolting against civil authority or against an established government. So you've added a whole lot of conditions there. I'm not sure where it came from. I would, I would urge you, I, I think probably the best exposition of that was the state attorney general's briefs and the, and the authority that they provided. Okay. But I think also if you look at sort of the historical record. Now, now you're going to tell me, uh, Mr. Gesser, you're making it up. And I'm going to say, well, so did the judge. And I'll say, we're all sort of making it up at the end of the day. Well, I, and, and yes, I just want to jump in on this point of how I don't know that we have to come up with a test that's going to necessarily address all circumstances. I guess the question, at least as to insurrection, you know, setting apart whether President Trump engaged in insurrection, but as to insurrection, why isn't it enough that a violent mob breached the Capitol when it was when Congress was performing a core constitutional function. I mean, in some ways, that seems like a poster child for insurrection. Why is that not true? Well, I, I, I think what you're sort of saying is the famous quote. I don't know, I don't know a definition of it, but I know it when I see it. Um, you know that we don't have a workable standard, but we think in this instance there probably it doesn't feel good, and it just seems well. It's seems more than it do, it's more than it doesn't feel good. I, I for purposes of this case, what we need to do is figure out whether what happened on January six. One of the things we need to do is figure out whether what happened on January six constituted an insurrection. We don't need to come up with a definition for all times. In all circumstances. I mean, as you watch that clip, as you watch the other clip, I mean, the conduct here is absolutely atrocious. Now, the Colorado Supreme Court is a seven justice panel right there. All of the justices in the Colorado Supreme Court were appointed by Democratic governors. They all serve set terms there in the Colorado uh, Supreme Court. Donald Trump's lawyer, Scott Gessler's argument there uh, mirrors what uh, Donald Trump argued in his briefing. Uh, here it is as well, and arguing that Donald Trump is not an officer, thus the court shouldn't even have jurisdiction over a 14th Amendment Section 3 disqualification case, and also arguing, and you heard Donald Trump's lawyer argue there, that Donald Trump did not even take the oath of office 
Um, and here uh, you see the argument in written form. Summary of the argument. Donald Trump's lawyers argue the framers excluded the office of the president from Section 3 purposefully. Section 3 does not apply because the presidency is not an office, quote, under the United States. The president is not a, quote, officer of the United States. And Donald Trump did not take an oath to support the Constitution of the United States. And therefore, Donald Trump's lawyer argues that the 14th Amendment, Section 3, does not apply and the court does not have jurisdiction. Now, if you take a look at the 14th Amendment, Section 3, just we'll pull it up right here, it says, no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office civil or military under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may vote by two-thirds of each house to remove such disability. And so the uh, ultimate ruling by the trial court is that Section 3 says senator or representative, elector, um, it talks about uh, it talks about a state legislature, judicial officer, but according to uh, the trial court and Trump's argument, it doesn't mention officer. But if you look at Section Three, it says, you know, or hold any office, and it's the office of the presidency. So it, it makes no sense. And the president the president does take an oath of office, but here Trump's lawyers arguing. There is no oath of office pursuant to Section 3 of the 14th Amendment that Donald Trump takes. And as you heard the argument there, you know, literally Confederates can become the uh, president of the United States. Obama can seek another term and the rules don't apply. It's what is so uh, dangerous there as well. Um, the lawyers for the petitioners here who filed this appeal after losing in the trial court went through a structural, uh, textual, and historical analysis and basically argued again to the uh, Supreme Court here as they did to the trial court. Um, the reason that there's no specific mention of the presidency or vice presidency in Section 3 is actually well documented in the historical text, the catch-all as it was believed when this section was drafted, was the or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States. That was a catch-all. And so uh, the terms presidency and vice presidency were not removed because the 14th Amendment, Section 3, doesn't apply to them. It just, for drafting purposes, was viewed as being embodied in this kind of catch-all that was uh, incorporated here, and it would also defy any uh, common sense analysis or historical understanding that someone running for the presidency would be treated like a king and could engage in insurrection and attempt to overthrow the Constitution, yet can seek safe harbor in the immunities and seek safe harbor uh, in destroying the Constitution and that the Constitution would not apply to them. It, it simply is belied by all logic there. So 
The next question is, is what will the Colorado Supreme Court do with this? They will obviously be uh, issuing a written order soon. And will they find that the disqualification clause applies to Donald Trump? And if it does, will that then go to the United States Supreme Court? But I wanted you, you know, to hear the argument being made by Donald Trump's lawyer, Scott Gessler. And I want you to see the summary of Trump's argument saying that Donald Trump did not take an oath to, quote, support the Constitution of the United States. And you saw Donald Trump's lawyer trying to argue that in court. Let's leave no doubt about what the argument is that Trump is making and how dangerous of an argument that is. I'm Ben Micellis. This is the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 2 million subscribers thanks to your support. Check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. At Midas Touch, we are unapologetically pro-democracy, and we demand justice and accountability. That's why we're spreading our message to convict for... It looks like the Fed has just declared, declared war, war on Americans, Americans again. They haven't done that in a long time, but we... haven't done that in a long time but we did it for four years and that's why we did so well that's why it was one of the great presidencies they say oh. even the opponents sometimes say that he did very well i have to say take it back they scream his people say take you want back. to talk about your dishwashers and how much water you're going to have in your dishwasher even though they don't work and all of the other things that you have that were so precious and dear and that you never really appreciated until now because they want to take them away um, but I think if you had a real election and Jesus came down and God came down and said, I'm going to be the scorekeeper here, I think it would win there. I think it would win in Illinois and I think it would win in New York, which is all places in theory. Only got indicted once. He got indicted. I got indicted four times because I'm questioning a crooked election. But we're not questioning it. We know the results. We know it. Well, the former president finally got around to some campaign promises amid lots of cheering, as you heard. Many untruths. The 2020 election was not rigged. It was not stolen. We know how the Christmas tale goes. On the fourth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a Fox News host fact-checking Trump to avoid another $787 million fine for lying to infinity. Going to fight to give much better health care than what you have right now. This is a newer subject, but Obamacare is a disaster. And I said, we're gonna, we're gonna do something about it. They always wanna point to Democrats and say, this isn't working, but they never have a plan that says, our plan is this, and this is the plan that would work. Look, pulling healthcare from people, whether it is a thousand, a million, 10 million plus, uh, which we have on Obamacare, um, it is, it's stupid, it's unwise, and, and I would even argue it, it, it's immoral. Trump held a rally this weekend, which means bucker up for more lies than Marjorie Taylor Greene told her book publicist. Seriously, get a look at the reviews. And before I go in and fact check some of the 102 false claims that Trump has made already this fall going into winter, it seems that Fox News themselves are fed up of the former president blatantly lying through his teeth. It's either that or they didn't want to foot another Dominion Christmas party bill, so they thought it best to tell the truth for once. And when we go through courts, if we ever even have to do it, because you have presidential privilege and also if we ever we should never have to do that but if we do we want to redo the election only from the standpoint we want that election 
We want to look at it very carefully. We have so much information. There was so much corruption in that election. You take a look. It's incredible. Just the other day in Georgia, 3,600 votes that were duplicated so that you had double votes. Almost all of them were for sleepy Joe Biden, right? Every single vote. You take a look what they do and what they play and what the Democrats have done for a long time, but it's a, it's a disaster. And we have to get in and we have to clean it up and we want to go paper ballots. We want to go voter ID, same day election. No more mail-in ballots. We don't want mail-in ballots. He said, we've got a red button on my desk, he said. I said, I have a red button also, but mine's bigger, better, and it works. Mine works. And then, no. Well, the former president finally got around to some campaign promises amid lots of cheering, as you heard. Many untruths. The 2020 election was not rigged. It was not stolen. Many untruths is right. Now, if you tuned into Midas over the weekend, you would have noticed he had quite the special guest on the network who spoke a little bit about the importance of preserving our democracy, something the former president continues to undermine with his lies about the 2020 election. The make of just the MAGA Republican influence over the Republican Party in general with she's saying that she's ultra MAGA. You know, we are addressed as MAGA extremists, extreme MAGA Republicans. And I would like to make um, just a clarification point. It's ultra MAGA. She's ultra MAGA, all right. Look, uh, for years I've served in the Senate. Some of my closest friends, and that's not hyperbole, were people I disagreed with, Republicans. There are seven Republicans still in the United States Senate who come up to me since I've been president and say, Joe, I agree with you, but if I, if I vote with you at all, I'm going to be primary to lose my election. There's a lot of really solid, solid people. But this is, makes up, well, I don't know, what, 35%, 40% of the Republican Party? There's a lot of really decent, honorable conservatives who move from a position of trying to figure out how they can do the most for the most people in a way that's fair to everybody. And she's clearly not one of them. President Biden, of course, appeared alongside Ben to discuss a quote that I think is going to serve as quite the moral compass for American voters as we approach 2024. Biden is very fond of saying, you know, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. Right out there and those watching right now who fear for our democracy and who just care about our democracy. You know, we made a speech in Independence Hall saying that our democracy is at risk. And even the press said, what are you talking about? Well, guess what? The vast majority of American people thought it was, too. The idea that you have a former president, but maybe the nominee, saying that he thinks he should be able to essentially walk away from the Constitution. He should be, I mean, the things they're saying. But this off-the-wall idea that democracy is inevitable, it's just not true. It's under siege, and we have to put a stamp of democracy in everything we do. And let's look at said alternative. We got on stage over the weekend and proudly reiterated this. I will immediately restore and expand the Trump travel ban. Day one, I will immediately restore and expand the... Trump travel ban. Remember when they said, oh, that's so vicious. And while this is true, he also lied countless times. But let's look at some of them. Trump continues to proclaim on stage that there were no wars during his presidency. That, quote, we had no wars. I got out of every war. We defeated ISIS. We got out. 
You know, Hezbollah is very smart. They're all very smart. The press doesn't like when they say it. We did the job ourselves, and it was absolute precision, magnificent, beautiful job. This is a lie. At the end of his presidency, U.S. troops remained in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Syria. And Trump kept a contingent of troops in Syria throughout his presidency, even after he claimed the U.S. troops were, quote, out. And as we know, it was President Biden who got troops out of Afghanistan. Now, as the Biden administration rightfully comes under scrutiny concerning the ongoing conflict in Israel-Palestine, something Trump is attempting to use to score points for himself, who said in an October speech to the Republican Jewish coalition that Hamas, Hezbollah fighters, and jihadists are infiltrating across our, quote, wide open border. They're all over the place, he said. Former President Donald Trump is warning his supporters to be on high alert for members of Hamas, the group carrying out attacks on Israel. Paul Spade checks his claim for PolitiFact. The members of Hamas crossed the southern border into the United States. Well, that's what former President Trump said on Truth Social the other day, saying the same people that raided Israel pouring into the U.S. through our totally open southern border. Is this right? No, actually. First off, the border is not totally open. Secondly, the Department of Homeland Security told us there's no evidence that Hamas poses any threat to the U.S. and is much less crossing the southern border. It's actually extremely rare for terrorists from any group to do that. Since 1975, nine foreign-born terrorists have entered the U.S. illegally. And of those, only three did so by crossing the southern border, and they were all children at the time. You can see their ages there. But as the CPB put out in response to Trump deliberately misleading to fear monger, the CPB had to note that there has been no indication of Hamas-directed foreign fighters seeking to make entry into the United States. The title of this hearing is Terrorist Entry Through the Southwest Border. When I first heard that was the title, my reaction was, what terrorist entry through the Southwest Border? Zero people have been murdered in attacks committed by terrorists who entered as illegal immigrants. And continuing on from his only tactic, Trump claimed in an October speech in New Hampshire that Biden had, quote, proclaimed that the number one terror threat was not ISIS or Al-Qaeda, but Trump supporters themselves. Now, of course, this again is not true. Biden claimed the number one domestic threat in the U.S. is white supremacy or, quote, domestic terrorism rooted in white supremacy. But here's the thing. Is anyone surprised that Trump took insult to this and thought it meant him or his cult following? I mean, it takes one to know one. And just at his recent rally this weekend, Trump claimed that Obamacare was a disaster and that he, wait for it, saved it. Going to fight to give much better health care than what you have right now. This is a newer subject, but Obamacare is a disaster. And I said, we're going we're gonna to do something about it. I saved Obamacare when we got John McCain's negative vote. You know, he voted against it after campaigning for many, many years. He said, uh, thumbs down. That was an amazing night. But we're going to fix it because uh, it's a catastrophe for family budgets. Even Elizabeth Pocahontas Warren, have you ever heard of her? Now she's uh, Pocahontas because of her great Indian heritage. She even said that it needs to be fixed. Pocahontas said it has to be fixed, so we're going to fix it. This, of course, is another untruth, considering Trump promised an Obamacare alternative that has still never seen the light of day. Much to the Republican chagrin, Obamacare has proven probably more popular than maybe what they thought. So why bring it up as an election issue when there are so many other things that are currently not going well in the country why would Republicans want to bring back up health care unless they have a replacement strategy? 
It lumbers in the fictional realm alongside his plans to have a border wall paid for by Mexico. He should explain why he didn't have Mexico pay for the border wall. He should explain why he racked up so much debt. He should explain why he didn't drain the swamp. He is, as we all know, a pathological liar. The only difference now is he's getting worse at it. Hey, Midas Mighty, love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now.
after all, it's just the softness. I mean, washing our face and we're brushing our teeth. You can just feel it more than just the shower. Welcome to the Finest Touch Network. We are joined by Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro. Governor, welcome to the show. Good to be back with you guys. Thanks for having me. Let's get right into it. I know a lot of infrastructure projects are going up across Pennsylvania. Build big is one of the slogans. Are the people feeling the impact in the Commonwealth when you're out there speaking to people? Are they seeing it? Are they feeling it? I think they're starting to, particularly when it comes to road and bridge projects and actually some of the stuff at our airports. We're beginning to see actual shovels in the ground and in some cases projects come to fruition and and people are seeing that they're feeling it now it's my responsibility um, and and the president and others to kind of connect the dots and say look this project wasn't free it cost money and those resources came because of the dedication of people like president biden and senator casey here in pennsylvania to make sure that we got the dollars we needed to get it done there's other projects like um putting new water lines in to get the lead out of our uh, drinking water pipes. A lot of that work is underway. Again, letting people know where those resources come from. And then there's some projects that haven't officially started yet, but the dollars have been secured, like making sure that we can connect all 276,000 homes, businesses, et cetera, without access to high-speed internet to the internet. And we have the resources to be able to do just that thanks to the president's work and the efforts of leaders like Bob Casey in Congress. And so some of those projects are gonna kick into high gear next year. So it's all happening. Uh, and I think we just gotta make sure that people know where the dollars came from and where the commitment came from. And that's from President Biden and, and our friends in Washington. Look, you are a Democrat, but you are the governor of all people in the Commonwealth, regardless of their political party. And one of your priorities is bringing Republicans and Democrats together to yep. get shit done, is what you talked about last time on right. the show. How GSD. GSD. How have you been able to do that? I mean, we see at a national level, um, you have a Republican Party struggling to even fund the government. How are yep. you able to kind of break that trend in the Commonwealth? bring political parties together and get shit done. Yeah, look, I appreciate it. We, we live every day by those three letters, GSD. And let me kind of set the table for some of the folks um, watching and listening to your great pod here. And that is, I am the only governor in the nation with a divided legislature. Think about that for a minute. In these hyper-polarized times, I'm the only governor with one chamber being controlled by Republicans and the other by Democrats. And so for me to get anything done here, we need Democratic and Republican votes. And yet, even with that division in these hyperpolarized times, we've been able to bring people together just through constant dialogue and communication and engagement. And we put a lot of points on the board. Let me give you a few just sort of quick examples. Um, through our bipartisan budget, we funded more money for public education than at any time in the history of Pennsylvania. We brought about universal free breakfast for 1.7 million Pennsylvania school children, along with funding for more resources for mental health for our kids. Um, we funded 400 new state troopers because I think people have a right to both be safe and feel safe in their communities. We funded all kinds of um, new investment in workforce development from VOTEC in our schools to apprenticeship programs to on the job training um, efforts that are that are being funded to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. 
they actually have an initiative to train 10,000 new people that are going to ultimately likely go into the building trades. And that work is all being done because of bipartisan efforts that we've engaged in to bring people together and, and deliver on common sense things for the good people of Pennsylvania. It can be done, um, but it takes a lot of work and a lot of discipline and focusing on meeting the real challenges of real people every day. Is there an achievement since you've been governor? You've listed a lot right there, though, that like, is there one? Oh, there's a lot that stands out, though, that goes, no one said this could be done and we did it. I mean, look, you always hate to pick one thing, but I guess to answer your question about, you know, no one said it could be done, then we did it. I would say 95, right? I mean, all the experts told us it was going to be months and months and months when that highway that carries two, 176,000 cars and trucks every single day, when that highway quite literally just collapsed, just fell, fell to the ground. We said it would take months to rebuild, but we organized a hell of an effort from our PennDOT engineers um, to our Philadelphia building trades. We literally worked 24-7. We got it reopened within 12 days. And when the eyes of the nation were on us, when the road that carries traffic from Maine all the way to the southern tip of Florida, um, you know, depended on us, Philadelphia and Pennsylvania stepped up and we got it done. And we're incredibly proud of that effort. And I think that really epitomizes our GSD attitude. And it's the approach I take to solving every problem in this commonwealth. GSD lists a lot of tangible achievements, but it seems when we hear from these Republican governors, it's taking away freedoms or talking about woke or whatever yeah. culture war issue is the du jour on Fox that day. What is your response, though, not just to the people of the commonwealth, though, but to all Americans who see that? who are disappointed in that? What's, what's your statement when you see other governors behave that way? I think they're wrong. And uh, quite frankly, they're, they're not where most people are. Where most people are is they want more freedom, not less. They want to be able to make decisions over their own bodies and marry who they love. Parents want to be empowered to make decisions on what books their kids are allowed to read. They don't want someone like Ron DeSantis I got this brand new Christmas tree flowers ornaments I got from Temu. They're perfect for decorating my yard. And guess what? They were only $119. Now I can instantly customize my yard or any room in my house for the holidays. They come in so many different styles, so you can choose your favorites. Take your Christmas tree designs to the next level. Wow, it's gorgeous. You can get yours at Temu right now for only $119. Make your holidays shine bright with deals on decor from Temu. This part is never easy, but at least saving on your family's medication is. Prescription savings made easy. Another good reason to check GoodRx. Just a little bit more and you'll feel all better. It's deciding for them. Um, I think it's also, you know, critically important to our democracy that when you step up and vote, that your voice be heard and that it not try to be quieted out by Donald Trump or any of his enablers who try and strip away your right to vote or to make your ballot not be counted. Um, I think, you know, freedom is something that we cherish as Americans. One party, the Republican Party, is trying to restrict that freedom. 
Uh, I'm doing everything I can to advance real freedom here in Pennsylvania. I think that's where the Democratic Party is across this country. You visited the Israeli Jewish restaurant Goldie in Philadelphia earlier in the day. Can you yeah. talk about why it was so important for you to be there in solidarity and show your support? Yeah, and I appreciate you raising that. And um, for those who haven't been tracking this, look, obviously, since October 7th, um, you know, there, there are a lot of uh, passionate people out there who have really strong convictions and positions. And whether I agree with them or not, I think it's critically important that we protect um, the right to peacefully protest in this country, um, the freedom of speech, the freedom for people to be able to be heard. In Philadelphia on Sunday night, that crossed the line when um, a mob approached uh, a restaurant and chanted that that restaurant, literally by name, was responsible for genocide. We stopped at that restaurant because that restaurant is owned by a Jewish person who happens to be American and Israeli. He holds dual citizenship. Um, they blocked the entry. They put stickers on the window. Um, they harassed the people who were inside just trying to you know, have a, a meal. And that really, um, I thought, was an act of anti-Semitism. Um, and it harkens back to a dark time, um, really within the last century, where in 1930s Germany, there were efforts to both boycott and protest businesses simply because they were owned by a Jew. And we can't allow that here in this country. It's not who we are and it's not what we are about. And so I thought it was important to go today with my wife, our first lady, um, to the restaurant in question is called Goldie um, and visit with the owner and the staff and just let them know that they're supported and loved and appreciated. And by the way, they've, they've got the best falafel in America right there at Goldie and a hell of a tahini shake too. So. Um, it was important for us to be there to show that solidarity, and I think it's also really important to call out anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, wherever you see it, and that's what I've tried to do as governor. And Governor, final message to the people of the Commonwealth, to the Midas Mighty, to the American people watching this interview as we head into 2024. Look, here's my message as we go into 2024. First and foremost, I hope everybody has happy holidays. Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, have a joyous Kwanzaa. Um, and I hope folks get the opportunity to be with their loved ones and that it is a peaceful and wonderful holiday season. I'm mindful that as we go into 2024, this nation is going to be confronted with another presidential election and a whole lot of misinformation that's going to be injected into our public discourse. And what my hope is, is that the American people will make a careful, thoughtful and sober decision as they um, enter the voting booth or they cast their ballots, you know, by mail or however they do. I don't think we want to go back to the kind of chaos that we saw during the Trump years, the kind of chaos where he wants to take away your freedom, take away your health care, uh, make it harder for you to get by. Um, I think we want to continue on a path of um, progress. And that is what we're seeing under President Biden. And that's what I'm trying to deliver on here in Pennsylvania and what I'm hopeful that the American people will choose as we go forward into this next election cycle. But I hope more than anything else, even if you disagree with my particular viewpoint on that race or on the candidates, I hope that you'll be committed to truth. And that is something that um, this podcast has always done so effectively well. Obviously, you've got your particular position, but we've got to focus on truth as we negotiate this presidential election. And with more AI entering 
into um, our political discourse and with a whole lot of people on the far right extreme who are just so willing um, to engage in lies and peddle conspiracy theories, I think it's incumbent upon all of us um, to be sober about this election, to focus on truth, uh, and to not take us to a time of chaos in this country, which is what I personally believe Donald Trump will bring about. So that's where I am. That's my, my hope for folks in the holiday season and as we engage in uh, the presidential race next year. I'll ask you one more while I got you. Specific initiatives that you're excited to launch in the Commonwealth in 2024. So we got a lot of work to do um, to build on the public uh, education funding and make sure that every child of God gets an opportunity for success. Um, we've already done automatic voter registration in Pennsylvania. I want to make sure that we continue uh, to strengthen our voting laws in this Commonwealth. I am um, hopeful that we're going to continue uh, our efforts to, um, you know, to, to address violence. And I'm hopeful that uh, our state Senate will take up some bills that were passed in the House to combat gun violence in our communities. So we got a lot of work to do. Those are some of the areas that I'll be um, spending time focused on. But uh, as I-95 and many of the other things that we've had to deal with in this first year show, you never quite know what's going to be on your bingo card each day. You just got to bring that GSD attitude to work and focus on getting it done for the good people of Pennsylvania. And that's what we're going to do. Well, look, I know the title governor is a great one, but I'm just going to put there you're an honorary member of the Midas Mighty, which may be a close number two. Thank you, Governor Shapiro, for joining us once again. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your support of our democracy, and we appreciate you, GSD, out there. Sounds great. Thanks. I'll see you guys soon. Happy holidays. Thank you to you as well. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 2 million subscribers. Thanks to your support, and have a great day. by a Jewish person, the American and Israeli, he holds dual citizenship. Jewish person who happens to be American and Israeli, he holds dual citizenship. Um, they block the entry. They put stickers on the window. Um, they harass the people who were inside just trying to, you know, have a, a meal. And that really, um, I thought, was an act of anti-Semitism. Um, and it harkens back to a dark time, um, really within the last century, where in 1930s Germany, there were efforts to both boycott and protest businesses simply because they were owned by a Jew. Um, we can't allow that here in this country. It's not who we are and it's not what we are about. And so I thought it was important to go today with my wife, our first lady, um, to the restaurant in question is called Goldie, um, and 
and visit with the owner and the staff and just let them know that they're supported and loved and appreciated. And by the way, they've, they've got the best falafel in America right there at Colby and a hell of a tahini shake too. So um, it was important for us to be there to show that solidarity. And I think it's also really important to call out anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, wherever you see it. And that's what I've tried to do as governor. And Governor, final message to the people of the Commonwealth, to the Midas Mighty, to the American people watching this interview as we head into 2024. Look, our Philadelphia building trades, we literally worked 24-7. We got it reopened within 12 days. And when the eyes of the nation were on us, when the road that carries traffic from Maine all the way to the southern tip of Florida, um, you know, depended on us, Philadelphia and Pennsylvania stepped up and we got it done. And we're incredibly proud of that effort. And I think that really epitomizes our GSD attitude. And it's the approach I take to solving every problem in this county. GSD, you list a lot of tangible achievements, but it seems when we hear from these Republican governors, it's taking away freedoms or talking about woke or whatever yeah. culture war issue is the du jour on Fox that day. What is your response, though, not just to the people of the Commonwealth, though, but to all Americans who see that, who are disappointed in that? What's, what's your statement when you see other governors behave that way? I, I think they're wrong. And uh, quite frankly, they're, they're not where most people are. Where most people are is they want more freedom, not less. They want to be able to make decisions over their own bodies and marry who they love. Parents want to be empowered to make decisions on what books their kids are allowed to read. They don't want something like Ron DeSantis deciding for them. Um, I think it's also, you know, critically important to our democracy that when you step up and vote, that your voice be heard and that it not try to be quieted out by Donald Trump or any of his enablers who try and strip away your right to vote or to make your ballot not be counted. Um, I think, you know, freedom is something that we cherish as Americans. One party, the Republican Party, is trying to restrict that freedom. Uh, I'm doing everything I can to advance real freedom here in Pennsylvania. I think that's where the Democratic Party is across this country. You visited the Israeli Jewish restaurant Goldie in Philadelphia earlier in the day. Can you yeah. talk about why it was so important for you to be there in solidarity and show your support? Yeah, and I appreciate you raising that. And um, for those who haven't been tracking this, look, I obviously, since October 7th, um, you know, there, there are a lot of uh, passionate people out there who have really strong convictions and positions. And whether I agree with them or not, I think it's critically important that we protect um, the right to peacefully protest in this country, um, the freedom of speech, the freedom for people to be able to be heard. In Philadelphia on Sunday night, that crossed the line when um, a mob approached uh, a restaurant and chanted that that restaurant, literally by name, was responsible for genocide. He stopped at that restaurant because that restaurant is owned by a Jewish person who happens to be American and Israeli. He holds dual citizenship. Um, they blocked the entry. They put stickers on the window. Um, they harassed the people who were inside just trying to you know, have a, a meal. And that really, um, I thought, was an act of anti-Semitism. Um, and it harkens back to a dark time, um, really within the last century, where in 1930s Germany, there were efforts to both boycott and protest businesses simply because they were owned 
by a Jew. And we can't allow that here in this country. It's not who we are and it's not what we are about. And so I thought it was important to go today with my wife, our first lady, um, to the restaurant in question is called Goldie um, and visit with the owner and the staff and just let them know that they're supported and loved and appreciated. And by the way, they've, they've got the best falafel in America right there at Goldie and a hell of a tahini shake too. So um, it was important for us to be there to show that solidarity. And I think it's also really important to call out anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, wherever you see it. And that's what I've tried to do as governor. And Governor, final message to the people of the Commonwealth, to the Midas Mighty, to the American people watching this interview as we head into Look, here's my message as we go into 2024. First and foremost, I hope everybody has happy holidays. Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, have a joyous Kwanzaa. Um, and I hope folks get the opportunity to be with their loved 